Any college football fans here? Sorry about the Bears. Um, <laughs> yesterday. College football fans are weird. College football teams are weird. But, but in, a, in a good way, in a fun way, the, their fans and their teams are more dedicated and more focused. Uh, you go into some towns, and if their team wins, the whole town is throwing a party. The whole town. If their team loses, right? you, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Chris? From Oklahoma? Yep. If the whole team loses, there is grief and mourning. It is that serious of a thing. It's interesting seeing some of the traditions of college teams because there's always these traditions and, and things that teams do to win or to get the edge or to, to intimidate the other team. Um, take Clemson, for example. Clemson played yesterday. They have this rock that is up on, on this, uh, up at the upper side of the stadium that was given to one of their famous coaches long ago. They call it Howard's Rock. And by tradition, the whole team gathers around it and rubs it before the game. And then on the count, they just go running down into the stadium that's called Death Valley, yelling. College football is weird. Um, Iowa, this is a fun one. They, um, they have this statue of one of their Heisman Trophy um, winners, Kinnick. And as they come into the stadium, all of their players rub the statue. Just sort of weird. Notre Dame, you guys know what Notre Dame does? On, on the, they, yeah, right above the doorway as they're leaving and exiting, there's, there's a sign that says, play like a champion today. And all the players, by tradition, tap the sign. Now, all of those things are designed to bring people together, and, and especially with the Notre Dame and some other, some other schools do that too. I think one of the Oklahoma schools does that. For, the, the goal of that is to bring people together with a common goal and a common focus that for them says, we're going to play like a champion today. We're going to play our hardest. We're going to do our best. We're going to leave it all out on the field and, and, and see what happens. So they all touch it to remind themselves of where they're going. This morning, I pray is one of those mornings for us. That the topic becomes a topic that is our sign, and, and we don't have anything to touch or rub or anything like that, and so don't create anything in the, in the breezeway or anything. But that our concept today of servanthood and the concept of how to lead like servants, how to be servants, becomes something that is so integral to who we are at Village that it's the sign that we touch every time we come into the driveway. It's the sign that we touch every time we minister together, every time we do anything together. What would God have us do? What kind of attitude would He have us have? We saw that in the text last week. If you turn with me in Mark chapter 10, and I want to go over that same text part of it, and we're going to expand that and say, okay, what does that mean? Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Mark 10, verse 42. Hopefully a familiar passage now. This is right after James and John have, have come to Christ and said, we want the place of honor and we want the place of authority. And Jesus called them to him, all the disciples, because the others were indignant. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. And with that word but there, he, he 
creates a contrast, a comparison between how the world leads and how Jesus is saying to lead. And it's so completely different that we see him bringing up this subject over and over and over again. In chapter 9, we saw chapter 10, we know later the washing of the disciples' feet over and over. Be a servant. Lead differently. But it shall not be so among you, verse 43. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Their heads would have started spinning a little bit there. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And as we talked about last week, that word for slave is an intensification of servant. It's a deeper word, and they would have just been really confused then. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I start by review of last week of this comparison between what I'm going to call power leadership. You guys always get the, the negative example over here. Power leadership and servant leadership. I'll try to switch that up every now and then. And, and this is the comparison Jesus is making. And this isn't the only place. We see Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 as he's talking to the elders and talking to how to lead. In verse 3, he says, "...not domineering over those in your charge." The word for domineering, same word as lording it over. So same idea. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And you see a comparison with that word but. Domineering, examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. And then for all of them, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Jesus here is attacking the very foundation of what the world considers leadership, what the world considers power, and how to get it. So many books have been written on how to get power, how to to win friends and influence. Is that the name of it? How to influence people and win friends? I don't know what it is. I haven't read that one. But um, it's such a powerful concept that people want to be recognized and they want authority and they want control. We talked about that last week, that that's something that's natural to us. So how do we intentionally become servants? The comparison, lording it over them, literally to be master of, to rule over, to subdue. And really what we're trying to do when we exercise authority, we are trying to be lord of someone else. Rather than be under our Lord, we're trying to be Lord or Master of someone else. It's interesting that at the time, and I I don't think I shared this last week, but the coins of the time had an image of the emperor. And, And that way you could worship the emperor. And it had an inscription saying, He who deserves adoration. It's leadership saying, I deserve adoration. But the example Christ gives is that of a slave. That of a slave. And we talked about those wordings last week, that it's a servant is one that waited on tables. A slave is one that was completely at the disposal of the master. Completely at the disposal of the master. And Jesus is saying, you're not only to be a slave to me, you're to be a slave to each other. Completely at each other's disposal. Completely focused on each other. And as we talk about servanthood, something I just want to say from the start, I am not trying to get you to serve more. And see, when we think of servanthood, we think 
how do I serve? Throw that out the door. Because we're talking about an identity, not an action. We're talking about being servants, not doing more acts of service. And the difference is, one, we can do things that make us feel good and feel like servants, but we could do them with a heart that still isn't a heart of a servant. The other changes our very being. A heart of a servant says, I am at your disposal. I am under you. I am here for you. And Jesus teaches that every believer is to have that heart. And then his leaders are to even more so have that heart. It's interesting in the first Peter passage, the instruction to elders to oversee literally means to accept the responsibility to care for someone else. To accept the responsibility to love someone else. Does that sound domineering? No. It's an act of humility that says, I will sacrifice myself to care about you, to love you. So this morning, it's not about serving more. It's about an identity. Be a servant, don't just serve. And when we talk about being a servant, we're a servant 24-7. Every moment of every day, servants are servants with whomever they talk to. Servants are always servants. And so we come to today looking at that. We see the, the ultimate example in the Mark passage, and we looked at this last week as well, the example of Jesus. In that last verse, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And, and if, we, if we take Jesus as an example, which is exactly what Philippians says He is, and, and throughout the Gospels, His purpose was to be a servant to redeem many. To give of Himself to bring people to God. If we are His servants, if we follow His example, that should be our purpose too. To give of ourselves to bring people to God. That is our purpose. That is what Jesus would call a purpose-driven life. This is the purpose that we are to live for. Another concept in the example of Christ is the idea of ransom. And something that we didn't talk about last week, but just to launch us into this week, ransom is redeeming someone, paying a price to redeem someone from their situation. But, but the added concept that I want to add this morning is that a ransom, when you ransomed somebody, that person was indebted to the person who paid the price. When, when someone was ransomed, that person now belonged in a way to the person that redeemed them. So if Jesus ransoms us, the implication is we are His servants. We belong to Him. We are servants by purchase. We're servants by purchase. And the implication of that is, is when I choose not to be a servant, I choose to deny my master and to deny his purchase. This is serious. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And so the scene sets up 
that Jesus compares power leadership and he compares it to servant leadership. And then he says, by my purchase, you are servants. By my example, you are servants. By my purpose, you are servants. And so today, where we want to go is, what does that mean? We can call ourselves servants all we want, but, but I want to get a little more practical and say, okay, what does it really mean to be a servant? What does servant leadership look like here at Village? What does servant leadership look like in your homes? And so we're going to look at, at 15, yes, I said 15. 15 just points on a list that give us an overview of what it means to be a servant. Now, each of these we could have a sermon on. Each of these we could go into depth. But my goal this morning is to give an overview. This summer our family was on vacation and we visited Yosemite. And I don't know if you've ever been to Yosemite, but we went up to Glacier Point. And the amazing thing about Glacier Point is you're up high enough overlooking the whole valley that you see the big picture. And it is incredible. I don't know how you couldn't stand at that cliffside and not proclaim the grandeur of our Lord and His creation. Because you're seeing the big picture. That's our goal today, is to see the big picture of servanthood and to go through these points fairly quickly so we're, we do get lunch. A couple of ground rules, a couple of, of things to remember as we think of, of servant leadership principles and as we go through them. And I think I give you four, four notes there, four points. Apply them to yourself, not to others. You could sit here this morning, and if you wanted to, you could pick apart me, you could pick apart every other leader in this church and say, they need to do that better. And you'd be right. But that's not the point of this morning. The point of this morning is, what do I need to do better? And so, let's work on applying them to ourselves, not, not to others. Number two, they are for everyone. They are for everyone. Now, I say servant leadership, and my concern there is that we'll say, well, I'm not a leader. Woo-hoo. I can check out for the next half hour. I don't have to be a servant. Servanthood is what we are all called to, including the leaders, but more so. And so these are for everyone, all in the body. My goal is that everyone here is a leader, whether it be today in a ministry, whether it be in the coming years to a ministry. All are being equipped to lead. All are being equipped to serve in the body. And so we, we apply these to everyone. question that I think of is, would you rather have leaders learn how to be servant leaders before they're leaders or after? So let's learn it now before rather than after. just makes sense. Number three, these principles all apply to leading in a home as well. And I get really excited about this one. The list that we're going to talk about today, if you took this list, dads, let me talk to men for a moment. Fathers, if you took this list and said, I'm going to be this at home, it will change the way you father. And it will change the way you are as a husband. Unless you're already doing all of them, which would be fantastic. This is a, a list for how to be a leader at home. Because men, we're called to be servant leaders at home, not power leaders. Moms, you're leading too. You're, you're, you're influencing those, those young children and older children every day. You're leading and you're called to be a servant leader, not a power leader. And so my, my third thing is, as we go through this list, will you think of home as well? Don't just 
compartmentalize it and say, oh, that's a village thing. This is how we are to be in every aspect. Number four, no one other than Christ exhibits these perfectly. No one other than Christ exhibits these perfectly. So as we go through the list, don't get discouraged. Say, you know what? There's some of these I'm not very good at. Every one of us, as we go through this list, has things to work on. Pick one or two, work on them, grow, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. It's hard to look through the list because there's some that, that I look at and I need to grow in that area. And so how do you preach on something you need to grow on? But we're preaching biblical truth. We're preaching what God has said His leader should be, His servant should be. So this morning as we go through these items, may we turn upside down our view of leadership. If you turn over your page, you see the 15 items that we'll go through. Again, an overview, a list. So much that we could talk about each one. And I I think I put the verse references there. I encourage you to take those and look those up in the weeks to come and, and study those. We're not going to be able to read all of them this morning. First one, surrendered. Surrendered. The idea of saying, how can I bring glory to God? How can I bring glory to God in everything I do? When we think of servant leadership, the first and foremost thing we need to think of is, how is our walk with God? What does my relationship with God look like? Am I sold out for Him? Am I dependent on Him? Have I, am I coming to ministry knowing that I need Him and I cannot do this on my own? A servant is dependent on his master. When servants aren't dependent on their master any longer, they aren't servants. And so first and foremost, am I surrendered to God? In the Acts chapter 6 passage, when they're picking the first deacons, they focus on men who are about to serve tables that are full of the Spirit and wisdom, that are walking with God. I would argue that this is more important than any other leadership quality for serving in the church. It's more important than whether or not you have an MBA, whether or not you're trained to be a manager, whether or not you're just a really dynamic leader. None of that matters if your heart is not sold out for God. And so that, I pray, is our first criteria for leadership at Village. Does this man, does this woman love God above all else? See, at its heart, in a church, leadership is about discipleship. It's not about what programs we can have. It's not about what events we can have. At its heart, every leader here is discipling. If I don't have my cup full of a passion for God, how can I disciple anyone else? I have nothing to pour out. I have nothing to give. So a leader always, first and foremost, has their walk with God right. We saw that with Jesus. We've seen that with Jesus. How many times do you see him getting away to pray? Usually when he's the busiest. Usually when he has the greatest leadership tasks. He gets away, spends time with his Father. That's servant leadership. Power leadership really doesn't care about the heart. Power leadership will focus more on the position, the title, And in this case, it's so easy in a church to focus more on knowledge and and what I know and how I can present it. 
And those are elements of power leadership rather than servant leadership. And again, think on each of these. How can I apply this in the home? Dads, do your kids know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love God more than anything else? And dads, you're not going to show them that by talking about it. That's part of it. But if that's all you do, if you say, you know, God is so good because of this and this and this, and if that's all they see, there's a disconnect between your lives, life. Your children need to see you practicing servanthood, practicing a walk with God. The talk is part of it. But if it's alone, it fails. Do your kids know you love God by what you do? Do they know you pray? Do you pray with them? Do they know you love God's Word? Servant leaders are surrendered. Second characteristic of servant leaders, integrity. Integrity. This is completely true. We will strive to honor God's in our actions, our words, and our thoughts both in public and private. Integrity, the, the word for integrity is to be solid, to be consistent. And so we are committed to truth. It's so easy as, as leaders, especially power leaders, will manipulate a situation. We'll, we'll maybe color the truth a little bit because they know what's best anyway and it's about getting things done. But in God's economy, there is no room for that. Integrity trusts God with the results. Servant leader is completely honest because he trusts his master. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 8, if you abide in my word, you shall know the truth. Think for a moment of the importance of this. Imagine leading, husbands, imagine leading your wives if they don't trust you. If you have violated their trust. Does a lot of leadership happen? No. It can't because the trust isn't there. And we break our wives' trust even with with small untruths or, or small breaches of integrity. And yes, there can be forgiveness and healing, but the same is true in God's family, in leadership, should be committed to the truth. Third principle of servant leadership. Humility. Like I said, we're just going to fly through these. Humility. You are more important than me. And when we think of humility, we we read the Philippians 2 passage, a key passage for humility that ties it into the example of Christ. But the, the, the passage there says to count others more significant or more important than ourselves. And so if I'm a leader, if I'm a servant leader, I will count those I'm leading as more important than myself. Think about that for a minute. That has huge implications. That has implications for how I lead them, how I talk to them, how I take their input, how I ask them to do things. If they are more important than myself... I come to them as a humble servant. I give up my own interests and my own rights. I give up the idea that that power leadership infuses on us that I need to be in charge. I need to be important. I need to be right. 
I, I, I. And we destroy our leadership credibility. See, the power leader is more concerned with their own desires and agenda and wants than those of those around him. A servant leader puts others first. Doesn't elevate our own interests, our own needs, our own agenda. But finds a way in servanthood to bring that to bear. Christ abandoned all for us. The ultimate example of humility. Again, fathers, moms, this is essential in the home. Because we we need to come to a point of realizing our families do not exist for my wants. Did you catch that? My family does not exist for my wants. My family exists to glorify God. And when I start to, as a father, realize that my family's needs are more important than mine, then I can start to lead my home well. Same is true in ministry in the church. Humility. Fourth point. I actually don't have them numbered, so I hope I get the number. Oh, they're not numbered up there either. Okay. Fourth, shared vision. Let's do this together. And and this is a category that covers uh, really a broad range of leadership principles. And this morning is about the attitude we have in leadership, not necessarily how to motivate people or or how to get this done 101. It's the attitude we come as a, a leader. And a shared vision is the idea that we exist to build teams, to build a, a, a relationship where people are ministering together. See, a power leader says, it's about my vision, it's about my ministry, keep your hands off. I have it working well, don't touch. But a servant leader says, we share ministry. My goal is to develop others and hand off ministry, even if it's my baby. Because we are constantly to be bringing others up. To, to be bringing people into ministry, to be equipping them to be servants. Think of the model of Jesus. He spent three years investing in 12 men throughout that time, handing off more and more of the ministry, trips and different things, teaching them, and then he left. Here you go. Here's the church. I don't know if I could do that. Shared vision says, let's do this together. We'll work to build teams, share leadership, authority, and responsibility as people are ready and equipped for servant leadership. And it's coming to to the point of saying, this is a shared agenda. We will come up with the agenda together because we're trying to discover God's agenda, not mine. So many examples of that throughout the New Testament. I think again of Acts chapter 6. We talked about the men, the deacons that were brought in to, to wait tables and to take that ministry. And, and do, you, do you remember what the elders did? They, they picked them, they, they prayed for them, the body did actually, and then they released them to ministry so that they didn't have to worry about it anymore. They released it. 
And a power leader says, I'm giving up control. I'm giving up part of my identity. But a servant leader says, God has other things for me to do. Imagine the possibilities if someone else takes this, that then I can do something else that God wants me to do. And so at Village, I pray we always keep ministry with an open hand. Willing to hand it off. Willing to say, here, you do this. When, when training is there, when they're ready. Shared vision. Fathers again, talking to you a lot. How well do we do at sharing responsibility, sharing vision, sharing the load with our wives? No wife that I have talked to has ever said, I like being his maid. It's never, I've never heard that. What I've heard is, I want to be his partner. I want to share in the decisions. I want to work together. Men, let's be servant leaders. Next principle, contrite. Being willing to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. This gets to the core of pride. To be able to admit when we've made a mistake. To be able to admit when we've offended somebody, when we've failed. Servant leaders will take responsibility for that. They'll, they'll say, yes, that was, that was me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And so many times, again, this runs counter to a power position of leadership, to the world's view of leadership. Because I have read books and I have heard people say, never say you're sorry. It's a sign of weakness. You are giving up authority. And that's hogwash. Because what that means is I'm elevating myself and trying to protect my power and trying to protect who I am. And the very act of saying I'm sorry and owning up to my mistakes and saying, yes, I am a sinner too and I need the grace of God and I need your forgiveness, that very act preaches more than anything else we do. And leaders are abandoning that for fear of losing influence. And they're abandoning the very thing that could bring them credibility. This doesn't mean coming to situations and saying, you know what, I can see how I was responsible for 1% of that. And I'm really sorry. That is not a contrite spirit. The word for contrite that is used, and there's the, the Isaiah passage that this is from, he who is humble and contrite in spirit trembles at my word. God is saying that is the one that he will look at. And the word for contrite there is to be stricken, to be smitten, to be overwhelmed with, I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. And God says that is the person I look at favorably. We don't have an example of Jesus saying this. (laughs) He was never wrong. (laughs) But we still see a servant's heart. Dads, again, this can be a powerful tool in your arsenal. 
It's so tempting with kids to lose our cool, to be upset about something, to react impulsively, and to say, no, I'm the dad. I'm the mom. They just need to deal with it. The moms and dads go to your children and say, you know what? What I did there, that was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And just see how God honors that. Next principle of servant leadership is very similar, but uh, slightly different. You'll see where I go with it. Accept responsibility. What do I need to do better? Contrite is more for an offense or a sin issue. Accept responsibility is more when things don't go well, when things don't go right, when, um, when mistakes happen. A servant leader will accept responsibility. When things don't go well, we have a choice in leadership. We can point out all the different people that contributed that to that mistake. We can focus on that because that makes us feel a little better. Or we can take responsibility for it and say, you know what, I need to do better in that. Here's what I'm going to do and have a, a, a direct plan, an idea of how to fix it. I think of the, a mirror in a window, and some of you I've shared this with, but it, it really helps me understand um, Leaders have a choice of going to a mirror and, or going to a window when things happen. And when bad things happen, when mistakes happen, when ministries fall apart, and that's okay, ministries fall apart sometimes. Ministries fail sometimes. Sometimes we try things that don't work, and that's okay because it's okay to try things. But when, when that happens, we have a choice. Do I go to the mirror or do I go to the window? And a power leader goes to the window in that case. And, and looks out at all the people. Saying, you know what? They contributed to the problem and they contributed to the problem and they contributed to the problem. And, and it's all to secure power to, or to protect power. A servant leader, instead of going to the, the window, goes to the mirror. And when you go to the mirror, what do you see? Yourself. And a servant leader always begins by saying, what could I have done differently? How can I help the situation? What changes can I make? It's where we start. In Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He's talking about how we approach problems in other people. And it's the speck in the log. Do you remember this, this passage? And Jesus says, why are you trying to get the speck out of your brother's eye when you got this huge log sticking out of your eye? Start with the log. That's the principle of accept responsibility. Start with the log. Start with the log. What do I need to do better? Moms and dads, again, it's stepping up and taking responsibility for difficulties in the family, for things that don't work, for arguments. Stepping up and saying, what can I do to set a different tone? What can I do to help this family function as God would have us function? Next principle. Feedback. Feedback. That's not right. Try this. And you're probably thinking, well, wait, wait. The last one you just said was accept responsibility. Look at yourself. Well, the Matthew passage, the Matthew 7 passage, actually says start with the log 
And then at the end, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so it's a sequence where we start with ourselves and make sure that we are right and that we have things that we can change. But then a servant leader will provide feedback and will say, let's do this better. This didn't work. And this is where I think people misunderstand servant leadership. Because they they think of servant leadership as weak and you never tell anyone anything and you never give honest truth. What does Ephesians say? Speak the truth in love. Do you remember where it goes after that? Next phrase. Why? Ephesians 4.15 Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. As leaders, if we never give feedback, if we are never honest with the people we are leading, there is no growth. There is no opportunity to grow. There is no opportunity to get better. To minister better. And so servant leadership, because we love the people we are leading, must give feedback. Without feedback, no ministries get better. Part of that too is is that we as servant leaders, we will stand for God's word. And we will stand up when someone violates God's word. That is not a sign that that we're not a servant leader. A servant will stand for what's right because he's serving his master. And those are his master's words. And so we will stand against sin as servant leaders. But the attitude and the tone in which we do it makes all the difference in the world. With worldly leadership, you really see two extremes on this often. You see see the leaders that won't ever say anything because they're afraid that, that people may not like them and they, they, may not, they may lose influence that way. And then I've seen many leaders that, that sort of lead with a hammer. Even if it's a speck in your eye, they're getting it out with the hammer. And, and, and you have these two extremes and neither of those are healthy. But we see from Christ's teaching, we see from the Word of God that we're to speak the truth in love for the purpose of growth. Fathers, we can do those two extremes at homes. Moms, too. But dads, sometimes we get so frustrated with situations that we're just absent, that we don't deal with them. Or sometimes we're so intent on dealing with them that we're the hammer, and we're just pounding on our kids and pounding on our family. And neither of those are aspects of servanthood. And you've probably found that neither of those are very effective. But honest feedback in love, that's not right. Try this, which speaks to helping them grow. That's what servant leadership at Village is to be about. Next point of servant leadership, follower. Follower. Yes, I'd be glad to. Sound familiar to those that have been on missions trip? Yes, I'd be glad to. A good leader is always first a good follower. Always. And the idea is this. If someone is struggling to follow, then they're struggling to submit to authority, which is a pride issue. It's always a pride issue. And if someone has a pride issue, what kind of leader are they usually? 
People answered, and I trust that you did. Power leader. Because, and I've watched this over and over in the business world and in different settings, someone is chafing under leadership and finally that, that leader that they're chafing under is gone and they almost always revert to a power authoritating, authoritative leadership. It's like they're released to oppress. Because if we chafe under leadership, it's a pride issue. And that pride comes out and destroys our credibility and leadership. See, a leader is a good follower, able to submit. We will be teachable. We'll follow those that lead us well without complaint. It's one of the sayings in our house. We obey without delay and without complaint. Because the complaining is disobedient too. That's part of an, uh, an unsubmissive spirit, a spirit that doesn't want to follow. Hebrews 13, 17, you can read on your own, but it talks about obeying your leaders with this attitude. It's the essence of not my will. We saw it in the text last week where Jesus said, that's not mine to give. He's submitting to the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will. Jesus is the perfect example of someone that submitted to authority. If the God of the universe that created all things, that is omnipotent, omniscient, and holy and righteous, if He is willing to submit to God the Father, how much more should we, who are none of those things? You might be thinking, well, Pastor Ron, that's really easy for you to say. that You're the pastor here. I praise God for our structure. Because even as the pastor, I am to submit to the elder board. Imagine for a minute if if I was chafing at the elder board and arguing with them and angry at them all the time. What kind of pastor could I be? Ineffective. All kinds of other issues because those men have wisdom and I'm chafing against wisdom. And so every one of us falls under authority. Can you be a good follower? It's one of the things I look for before we put people into leadership is how well are they following? Because that tells me a lot about how well they'll lead. Next point. Listener. Next principle is listener. Anytime. And and the idea of anytime is I am willing to listen to you anytime. I'm willing to open my door. I'm willing to find ways to listen to you. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The quick to hear sometimes is translated quick to listen. And so as servant leaders in at village or at home, we're to strive to listen, to hear other people, to hear their opinions, to hear where they're coming from. When we are, when we are coming out of power, we find ways to shut people down because it just annoys us gets in the way of what we want to do. Sorry, you guys are still my power leaders. When, when, when we go to servant leadership, we realize, no, no, that person is more important than what I want to do, and so I will listen. So much so that if I know there are issues, I will seek them out. And I will find a way to resolve those, if at all possible, as far as it depends on me. In the home, who's responsible for seeking people out and restoring relationships? The leader, mom and dad, because you're the parents. 
You don't expect your children to, to notice those things and to know how to resolve everything. It's the leader's responsibility. So don't get caught up into the mindset, well, you know what, they just need to come to me. They just need to figure this out. It's your responsibility to seek reconciliation. A servant leader is willing to sacrifice and put themselves out and do that. Do you remember the, Jesus when the apostles came back from their, the, the tr- missions trip Jesus sent them out on? Everyone's tired. They're, they're about to cross the sea and we get into the feeding of the 5,000. And in, in just a little verse it says, Jesus listened to all that they said. Profound. Do you think Jesus didn't know that already? (laughs) He listened to all that they said. Next point, self-sacrificing. How can I help you with that? A servant is willing to give up their own time and agenda to help others. A servant is willing to do any job, no matter how large, no matter how small, no matter how clean, no matter how dirty... A servant's like the bottom of the totem pole, right? That's the one that gets the scuzzy jobs. Jesus said we're all servants. We get the scuzzy jobs. And even as leaders, it is our responsibility to take those jobs to make sure they happen. It doesn't mean we do everything ourselves as we remember back to shared vision and, and sharing responsibility, but it means we're willing to. And we make sure it happens. Servant leaders are the last ones out. The first ones there. The ones that are, are caring deeply for the people they are leading. A power leader will think certain jobs are below them because they've risen up the hierarchy enough where they don't have to do those things anymore. And Jesus says, No, you're servants, you're slaves. Dads, if you want influence in your family, start serving. Do the jobs no one else wants to do. And just see what happens. See how your family starts to respond to you. Self-sacrificing. How can I help you with that? Unentitled is the next characteristic of a servant leader. Unentitled, being willing to say please. And the idea here is, is a power leader will come to leadership with this idea that I expect people to do what I say and I expect certain perks to come with my position. A servant leader will, will come and say, I, I don't expect that. I don't expect people to, to run and jump at every word that I say. I don't expect to be treated differently. And so we, we show that with words like please. Would you please do that? Or are you able to do that? Rather than, hey, go do this. I mean, imagine, and again, we're talking in the church here. Imagine if everyone led by, hey, you need to go do that, or go do that, or go do that. You'd have no more volunteers. Because people won't sit under that kind of leadership for very long. But rather, would you please do this? And this is just a real practical one. But the idea of not misusing position. 
of emptying ourselves and realizing those people and their time are more important than mine. A few more principles. Encourage. Encourage. A servant leader is an encourager, willing to say words like thank you and good job. Thank you is the corresponding word to please. Again, if we just expect people to do what we want, we don't say thank you because they just did their job. But if we're coming to people with an attitude of servanthood and not expecting that, then we'll say thank you because they, they went out of their way. We'll speak well of others. We'll encourage others. When we say good job, we are giving credit for things. And coming back to the, the mirror in the window, uh, uh, when things go well, we, we talked about it when things don't go well, when things go well, a power leader will tend to look in the mirror. Yeah, things went really well. You know what? I can list five things I did to help that go well. This is a good day. And we're looking at the mirror. But a servant leader will go to the window when things go well and say, oh, praise God, look at what he did. And look at what so-and-so did to contribute to that. And look at how this person ministered. And look at this person's part of it. And, and it's a completely different mindset that passes on accolades rather than grasps for accolades. A power leader feeds on the spotlight. A servant leader shares the spotlight with others. How well do we do at saying thank you? At a church our size, that can be very difficult. And I see people doing it well, but it's so difficult because it feels like everyone's stretched. where Everyone's doing so much. And it's not that we're not appreciative, but we forget to take the time to be appreciative. I encourage us this week to notice something that someone else is doing in ministry and say thank you. Say good job. Dads, there's nothing your kids want more than to hear you say good job. Nothing more. I've had people that remember their father saying that years later. I remember when dad said I did well. Tell your children they're doing a good job. When they really are. Don't lie about it. That's the integrity thing. But find things that they're doing well and encourage them. Three more. Care. The words, I love you. At Village, we will care more about people than tasks. We will care more about people's hearts and their souls than programs. We will care more about discipleship than whether we have a perfect-looking building. And, and I know some people are just geared that way and you're relational and other people are task-oriented. But for all of us, a servant says, you are more important than I am. And every position of leadership, like I said, is a position of discipleship and it's a position of a type of pastoral leadership where we care for them. Jesus in John over and over says, I love you to his disciples. Jesus said that. 
a man to another man. Because he knew the importance of caring for those he led. We see Paul saying that over and over to the people he's leading. I I gave my heart to you. I love you. I care about you. Servant leaders say it. They show it. May we repeat the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Moms and dads at home, Again, make sure your family knows you love them. Don't underestimate caring for one another. That gets to the heart of servant leadership. If the people you're leading know that you love them and know that you care, they will be willing to work with you towards kingdom principles and kingdom goals. Convince them. Second to last one, respect. You are a fellow heir in Christ. Goes along with humility, but a little bit more proactive. Humility is my attitude. Respect is how I treat other people. It's the external working of humility. Knowing that every believer in this room is a son or daughter of the king, just like I am. Every believer in this room started out as a sinner, just like I did. Every believer in this room is an heir and has a portion of the eternal kingdom with Jesus Christ, just like I do. So I better treat them right. Because as I'm treating other people in the church, I'm treating a son of God, a daughter of God. I'm treating a co-heir in the kingdom of God. And so all the verses that talk about honoring one another and, and respecting one another, that needs to infiltrate into our leadership. Our job isn't to tell people what to do. That's not leadership. That's what the world thinks leadership is. That's control. Leadership is respecting them and influencing out of coming alongside, not lording over. We respect each other when we believe in them and they know it. When we give the benefit of the doubt, when we forgive, when we give second chances, when we respect their time, when we communicate well, But a power leader will be more concerned about title and pulling rank. Respect. Finally, the last one in our broad overview of what servant leadership is. Example. May I show you? We lead by example. More than what we say, what we do. Whether we're willing to do it. We need to be an example in our walk with God that people will strive for. We need to be examples in our ministry. If the people under us ever feel like there's a job we're asking them to do that we're not willing to do ourselves, you've lost. You've lost credibility and leadership. A servant leader will lead by example, will get in the trenches, will work alongside. Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model or an example of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity. Live Christianity. Moms and dads, this is the greatest key to passing on your faith to your children. Being an example of walking with God. 
Not just talking it, but doing it. And a consistency between the two. I challenge us as servants to be examples of how to behave. Examples of ministry leaders. Examples of how to do things. Fifteen things by 11 o'clock. An overview. A picture. I encourage you to start wrestling with them. On the website this week, we'll put up a document of all 15 that describes them in a little bit more detail. I encourage you to read it. And may this be the sign on the door that we tag every time we're here to say this is the attitude we will have at Village. We are servants, not kingdom builders. God's kingdom builders, not our own, but we're servants. May we tap that sign and be servants. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would infiltrate everything we do here. That you would challenge us with all the ways that we have not allowed ourselves to be servants that we haven't asked the question, what would a servant do in this situation? That rather we have said, what would a master do? Challenge us, expose those, bring those to light. Lord, help us to put into practice what you instructed us in Mark 10. Not so with you. Whoever would be first would be your servant. Whoever would be great would be a slave to all of you. May we live your words in Jesus' name.